Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. As you turn there, this has absolutely nothing to do with the message, but I thought it was funny. I heard a story of a girl one day that went to a wedding, and on the way back home from the wedding, she asked her mom, she said, Mom, why is the, the lady up there, the bride, why was she wearing a white dress? And the, the mom said, well, it's because it's the happiest day of her life. So the girl thought about that for a minute, and she said, well, Mom, why was, the, why was the groom wearing black? <laughs> Speaking of wearing black, I'm wearing black today because I'm in mourning. Last Sunday marked the death of my 20s. I'm now in the, the 30s. It's official. But it's not all sore knees and bad backs now for me yet. Maybe you remember the truth that uh, the pastors preached about once a man turns 30, he's able to use sarcasm. So, I've got my own certificate here. A license of sarcasm presented to me by me. But it says here, this license has been awarded for the blatant and unrestricted use of sarcasm. You have been awarded the rights and privileges of a truly sarcastic person. Signed by me. So, before I was just practicing sarcasm, now it's on. It's the real deal. Now, to move on to more serious things, I thought that as we celebrate the 65th anniversary of our church, that it would be very appropriate for us to consider this evening God's faithfulness. Um, we just received word this week that Mrs. Long has passed away. She's gone to be with the Lord. We rejoice in that. We're very grateful for that. Um, as was mentioned this morning, she's been a member from what uh, I've heard since about the third anniversary of our church, so about 62 years. Um, I don't have nearly that much time here in this church, but actually this year marks the 20th year since my family's joined this church. I, I consider this church my home. It's where I've grown up. I've grown up through the school here. Many of you are my Sunday school teachers, junior church teachers, teachers in school, mentors in other ways, and I'm very grateful for this church and the, the blessings that that uh, I've experienced here. And through the history of our church, as was mentioned, and as we'll look at later on in the video, it's not been all, all great. There's, there's good times, there's bad times, ups and downs. And yet as we uh, consider the history of our church, and as we look at our own history in, in our own personal lives and the things that God has done for us, um, we ought to see how faithful God has been to, to us. And I invite you to consider God's faithfulness to you in your own life. God's faithfulness is certainly shown in the good times, as there are plenty of good times, but usually, even more so, God's faithfulness is shown in the hard times. Um, in Lamentations chapter 3, we'll look at verses number 21 through 26. Lamentations 3, starting in verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Certainly we're all familiar with the great song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Now in our culture we often overuse words such as great, awesome, different words like that. That's just how our culture is. But when the Bible says that something is great, it truly is something that's great. The Hebrew word here for great, and pardon my pronunciation, but uh, as best as I can find, is rav. The word is used 458 times in the Old Testament. It's often translated as great, um, 118 times actually. But it's also translated as many, much, more, 
long, enough, mighty, multitude, and even sometimes as a noun, as captain or chief. I think we get the idea that God's gratefulness, or his faithfulness, is truly something that's great, it's enough, it's mighty, it's something that's very powerful. God's faithfulness is something, it's one of the attributes for which we must praise him. His, his faithfulness is very apparent in our personal lives, as well as in our church. It's apparent in history. Everywhere we look, if we look in nature and science and all of the different areas that we might look, God's faithfulness is very easy to see. Um, if you'll turn over actually now to the book of Psalms, this is where we're going to be looking for the rest of the um, message tonight. In Psalms chapter 37, I was kind of worried this morning when Pastor had us turn there in Sunday school, I thought he was going to take the psalm and, and go into depth on it. Grateful he didn't. Psalm chapter 37. The book of Psalms has always been one of my favorite books. It gives us an inside look at David's life in many cases and, and some of the other men that God used to write the Psalms. But in particular, this psalm written by David, we look at David as one of the great warriors of all time, one of the, the greatest king really in Israel's history, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But in Psalm chapter 37, um, we're not going to read it for the sake of time. It's 40 verses long. We'll pick out a few parts here and there. Um, but I just want to point out a few things as we look through different parts of this psalm. Uh, point out a few things about God's goodness and his faithfulness. Certainly this message won't do justice to the, the topic of God's faithfulness or do justice to this chapter or to the psalm. But um, I want to challenge us individually and as a church in our duty uh, as believers when it comes to God's faithfulness to us. David was a man who faced some real problems. In the Psalms, we see him opening his heart, really. He's opening his heart to God, complaining to God, praying to God, praising God, asking God for things, telling God about how things are going. We're invited to look at how David dealt with the problems that he dealt with in his life. As was already mentioned this morning and this evening uh, again, as we look at history, as we look at the Bible, the history of, uh, we look at the stories in the Bible and uh, even modern history, the stories that we see really aren't so much about the characters themselves, but about how God has dealt with man and dealt with individual characters throughout history. So as we look at this passage, we're seeing David's perspective of how God has dealt, how God was dealing, and how God would continue to deal with his people. Throughout the Psalms and throughout this Psalm in particular, we see that one thing is clear, and that is that God is faithful to his people. So as we go along, this will be just a very brief glimpse of God's faithfulness. Uh, I've kind of broken it down. It's, they're not perfect categories. They overlap in some cases, but it, it's not perfect or, or exhaustive by any means. But I'm simply wanting to take the diamond that is God's faithfulness and just point out some of the facets of it and then invite you to... Uh, ooh and ah over it, so to speak, as we look at God's faithfulness. So um, let's pray briefly, and we'll get into this uh, passage this evening. Our Father, we thank you for the anniversary of our church and the faithfulness that you have shown to us throughout the 65 years here. And even though none of us here have been here for that whole time, many of us have been here for, for significant portions, and we've seen you work in our church in many different ways and, and show your goodness. And in all of our lives, if we look back and be honest, we could see your faithfulness in our lives. We're grateful for it. We're grateful for your word and how it shows us how we ought to praise you and how we ought to look at you and how we ought to uh, see the things that you're doing in our lives. 
and be grateful for those and praise you for them. I pray that tonight would be a challenge to your people, that it would be a blessing, and that we would go from here inspired to live in a way that would be pleasing to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at God's faithfulness in this psalm here, first thing I want to invite you to look at is the fact that God's faithfulness is something that's trustworthy. In verses number one and two, the Bible says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. So here we're taught that we shouldn't fear the wicked because of their, uh, because of their wickedness, but also because their days are numbered. Verse number three says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. This teaches us that we ought to trust in God rather than fear the wicked. Now, this chapter is uh, bookended by this theme. If we look at the last few verses, in verses 38 through 40, it says this, But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. When it comes to God's faithfulness, it's something that we can put our trust in. It's something that we can rely on at all times. We see this throughout the chapter, but as we look at verses number 5 and uh, five through 7, the Bible says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the, new, as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. So over and over in this psalm, we're told to trust in the Lord, to rest in the Lord, and that those who trust in him will be safe and God will deliver them. God is uh, likened to a rock in the word of God. A rock is something that's unchangeable, it's unmovable, it's solid. It's something that cannot be destroyed. It's something that we can trust in, we can lean up against, we can rely on it. We should have it as our foundation because it will not be moved. We'll touch on this a little bit more in a bit, but God's faithfulness isn't limited only to the good times. A fair-weather friend isn't really a friend at all, and we find that that's not the type of friend that God is. Faithfulness is a virtue that we admire because it's not something that's easy. It's not something that comes naturally all the time. It's something that can be hard at times. We'll touch a bit more on that in a minute. But we see next that God's faithfulness is delightful. It's something that we can and we should delight in. In verses number 4 and 5, these two verses go hand in hand. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And again, verse 5, we've already read it. But commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The interesting thing about this passage is I once took it to mean, and as I'm sure probably all of us did when we first read this passage and and tried to understand it, that if we trusted in God and we delighted in him, then we'd get whatever we wanted. And obviously that's a very juvenile way to look at that passage, and we understand that's not exactly what it means at all. The idea of delighting in the Lord means that we're valuing what he values. We're valuing him for who he is. We are taking the things that he, uh, that he exhibits, his virtues, and the, the things that he does, and we're taking delight in those things. Part of that means that we're not delighting in those things that he hates. And so if I'm valuing what God values, if I'm loving what God loves, then the things that I want are the things that God will give. And so in delighting myself in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. Not because I get my heart's selfish desires, but because my heart has been changed to delight after the things that he wants. It doesn't mean that God's going to give me everything that I want, but it means that I'm transformed. 
So when I commit my way to God, as verse number five says, means that I'm not going in my own way and seeking after the things that I want. I'm seeking after his way. And when I do that, he guides me in the way that he wants, and I walk more closely to him. The problem is when we want what we want to know what's in it for us. What do I get out of it? But the problem is when we have that, that attitude, we are not then delighting in the Lord. We're not committing our way into him. There are two mutual exclusives. If we're doing the one thing, then we're not going to be doing the other. If I'm delighting in myself, then I can't be delighting in the Lord. If I'm committing my way to myself and trying to do my own thing, I'm not committing my way to the Lord. But here we're instructed to delight ourselves in the Lord. And when we do that, God is able to give us the desires of our heart. So it's something that we should delight in. In verse number 18, the Bible says, The Lord knoweth the ways of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Several times in this passage, the Bible talks about, David talks about our inheritance, the inheritance of the righteous. And that's something that should be delighted in. Um, The inheritance that we have in eternal life and all the blessings that God gives besides, those are, are things that last forever. But even in the short term, we can delight in God's faithfulness because he is faithful to us even here on this earth. In verse number 19, the Bible says, They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. And then verse number 25, a very well-known verse here, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. We can and we should delight in God's faithfulness to us, both his faithfulness in eternal things as well as temporal things here on this earth. In verse number 29, again, it talks about the inheritance. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Verse number 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. So here we're encouraged and exhorted to delight in the Lord because his faithfulness lasts not just now, but also to eternity. Next, we see that God's faithfulness is something that's powerful. It's very powerful. God's faithfulness isn't something that's that's vain. It's not something that's for nothing. Um, because of his power, God mocks at the wicked. We see in verse number 13, The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. Anyone can talk big. Anyone can mock at somebody else. Um, you might see this on the playground sometimes, kids mocking each other or something like that. Um, but backing up your mocking and backing up your talk is a whole different matter. And God, as we see, backs up his word with action. Um, In the words of King Ahab, probably the wisest words he ever said, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Our God has already triumphed over wickedness, and he will continue to triumph over his enemies. The battle is won. As I mentioned before, God isn't only faithful in the good times, when the enemies of God, and David certainly points out the enemies of God multiple times in this chapter, when they gather about and they focus their attacks on God and also his people, which be us, God doesn't disappear. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We see in verses 14 and 15 that the wicked, they raise their weapons against God, and then they're destroyed. Starting in verse 14, it says, The wicked have drawn out the sword, they bent the bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Verse number 17 talks about uh, more of God's power. It says, The arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. So the same power by which we are upheld is the same power by which God's enemies are destroyed. 
In verse number 24, again, it talks about how we are upheld. Though he fall, speaking of the, of a good man, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. God's faithfulness is something that's powerful. And then in verse number 40, I know we're jumping all around, but it says, And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. God's faithfulness isn't something that's helpless. It's not like um, maybe you're in a helpless situation and you've got maybe a friend that's sticking it out with you, but they're not really powerful enough to be able to do anything about it. That's not the kind of faithfulness that God has to us. God is faithful to us and also has the power to strengthen us and the power to deliver us from whatever situation that we're in. It's powerful to save. God's faithfulness is very powerful. Then we see that it's continuous. Over and over in this chapter, as I mentioned, the apparent prosperity and strength of the wicked and the enemies of God uh, is pointed out. But it's shown in every single case to have an expiration date. In verse number 2, it says that they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse number 9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse number 10, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. It's almost like, uh, I don't know if you guys do this, as you're driving down the road, and you might see that um, there's a building or something that's been knocked down. And I'm always thinking, what was there? I can't, I can't even picture what was there before. And... You know, I'll give it a couple of months and something else will be there and you won't even be able to tell that that old building was there. In the same way with the wicked, they might seem to have big powerful palaces and big strongholds now, but just a little while and you'll go by and you'll consider his place and it will not be. Verse number 15, their sword shall unto their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Verse 17, again, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Verse number 20, the wicked shall shall perish. Uh, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. Verse number 22, for such as be blessed of him shall be inherit the earth, but they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. Verse 28, for the Lord loveth judgment and pers- forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Verse 36, yet he passeth away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. And then verse number 38, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. The wicked have an expiration date, but God's faithfulness does not. God's faithfulness outlasts the wicked every single time. As we mentioned earlier in verse number 25, David was young and is now old. I don't know exactly how old he was at this point when he wrote this sermon, or when he wrote this psalm. But in all of his lifetime, he'd seen God's faithfulness to his people, both when he was young and now that he was old. It didn't mean that there were no problems. It didn't mean that they uh, had all good times, but that God was faithful to them through them all. David continually refers the believers, those who are reading this psalm, to look ahead, to look past the wicked who are prospering at this time. They're urged to look ahead to the inheritance that they would have eventually. In verses number 28 and 29, he says, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. And then verse 29, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. In verses 39 and 40, David again speaks of what God will do in the future. Now, this looking ahead 
is really understanding that God doesn't dwell, he's not bound by time, is something that God has already done. God has already conquered, he has already destroyed the wicked. The wicked spread their branches over and over, but God has cast down the mighty, and David at that point knows that God will continue to do that. And then hand in hand with that, God's faithfulness is something that's just. God will bring destruction down upon the wicked. They prosper now, they seem to have strongholds and and they seem to be untouchable in many cases but in the end god and his faithfulness would prevail in psalm number 46 the bible talks uh, uh, the, the psalm there talks about god's faithfulness over and over and over if you look through all of the psalms you'll be able to see that theme so very very brief look at god's faithfulness in the time i have left i want to urge you to do what your duty is in association with God's faithfulness. So we consider God's faithfulness to us. So what should our reaction be to it? How should we live? What is our duty now? Well, the first duty that we have is to praise God for his faithfulness. We should admire it. We should love it. We should be mindful of it. We ought to give God the glory and the honor that he deserves for his faithfulness to us. Consider it. What obligation does God have to us? By the natural order of things, God has no obligation to us. He's the creator. We're the creation. The inventor doesn't have any obligation to his inventions. The artist doesn't have an obligation to the art that he creates. And yet God has obligated himself to be faithful to us, not because of any goodness that we have, not because of any value that we are to him, but because he loved us. And we ought to be grateful for that. We ought to praise him for that. So first we have to praise God for his faithfulness. We shouldn't take it for granted. Don't act as if we deserve it. Don't forget it. Keep it always before you. Parents, keep God's faithfulness in front of your children. Display it to them. That way they can see it. Um, as we see in the history of the, the Israelites, and we see in, in our own history sometimes, what happened was a lot of times the, the generation, the current generation of the Israelites that had seen God's goodness failed to impress upon the next generation God's faithfulness and rehearse those things to their children. And so those younger generations forgot the Lord. And it should not be so with us. We ought to remind the next generation of God's faithfulness and praise Him for it and urge them to praise God likewise for it. And then secondly, we must be faithful to Him. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, another well-known passage of the Bible says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We've each been made stewards, and God requires faithfulness of us. Now, that's a high bar that's set there for us to be faithful. It's not always easy. It's something that calls for self-sacrifice sometimes. It calls for self-discipline. It calls for us to put our own selfish desires aside. But God doesn't require anything of us that he hasn't first done himself. Before we ever knew God or loved him, he loved us. Before God ever called for faithfulness to him, He was faithful to us. He gave himself for us and showed his faithfulness to us. Indeed, it can't be called a sacrifice for us to give back to God what he's already given to us. Look at your past. Look at our church's past and see how faithful God has been to us in all things. Even when we haven't been faithful to him, God has been faithful 100% of the time. And so we are called to be faithful back to him. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it comes naturally to us, but that is what is required of us. In closing, we just looked at the life of C.T. Studd over our missions conference. He said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Christian, 
be faithful to God. Praise him for his faithfulness to us because it never fails. Truly, great is thy faithfulness.